It's good to be together again like this. I look forward to these services every Sunday. I've simply titled my sermon this morning, The Cost of Rejecting Jesus. Sometimes there's a huge price to be paid when warnings are not heeded. In January of 1986, when the U.S. was in full swing of their space shuttle program, they were getting ready to launch the Challenger on January 28th. There was one of the top men there who was in charge of a certain part of the project, and he discovered upon inspecting this certain parts what he was responsible for that on this one particular part, there were some O-rings that would hold some joints together or would seal some joints so that hot gases, liquids, or whatever would not escape. And he noticed that one of those O-rings, one of those rubber O-rings had been compromised. It had got something, the substance had gotten through there, whatever was in those, in that machine. And he alerted the higher ups. He said, we got to fix this. The one O-ring failed, the second one held, but if they both failed, there would be catastrophe. It would not work. And he said, the reason is because they get too cold up in the upper atmosphere. They freeze and then they don't work anymore. They don't expand properly. The head guy of the whole thing was upset at him. What do you want me to do? Cancel till April? And he warned and says, don't fly the machine like this. Well, they had a vote. The top guys, four to zero, voted him down. So January 28th, the shuttle sits on the launch pad. The countdown begins. Seven astronauts in the the shuttle, and they take off. And once those boosters are lit, there's no turning them off. There's no going back. There's no stopping this machine. Once the boosters are ignited, they have to burn themselves out. And it takes off the first minute is flawless. The machine just performs perfectly. In the second minute, 70-some seconds into the flight, all of a sudden, kaboom, the thing blows up. Seven astronauts died. Of course, now what do we do now? So they start picked up the debris from the ocean where it fell, and they learned to their disappointment, to their shock, exactly what this engineer had said. Those O-rings failed. They got too cold, they didn't hold, and the shuttle blew up and disintegrated. That was the price they paid for rejecting some very simple advice. There are times in life, not every decision is that big. Not every decision is that important. For kids, mom says, kids, put on your jacket. Don't go out like that. You're going to catch a cold if you do. And they don't put on their jacket and they go out and they catch a cold. The price of not listening. Often in life we think that the warning doesn't apply to me. Or I can somehow get around the warning and it will still be okay. It happens in so many areas of life. So we get ourselves into places where we can't get out of. You know that it's easy to climb or to jump into a hole, but nobody ever jumps out of a hole. If that's a 10, 12 foot deep hole, you can't jump out. You can get in, but you can't get out. And so it is with a lot of things in life. You can do things you can't undo. Joe just mentioned that there's going to be a training course on financial peace. I think it's an awesome course. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's very, very easy and simple to just load ourselves with piles and mountains of debt. But how are we going to pay for it? And we are very fortunate in this country. We don't have debtor's prison. 
Because in some countries, they still may have, I don't know, but years ago, there was what was called debtor's prison. What that simply meant was, you got yourself in a financial pickle, you couldn't get yourself out, you're going to go behind bars. As simple as that. Certain actions in life have consequences. They have a cost attached to them, which we cannot ignore and cannot avoid. If we do ABC, we're going to harvest the results of those things. It's as simple as that. You lie to people, they won't trust you. You cheat, they won't believe in you. Certain actions in life are very costly. And sometimes it's the most weird stuff. I had a friend of mine years ago who, his van broke down. He said, what happened? Well, he said, my wife was driving home, and this little red light on the dashboard came on. And she figured, you know, that's just a little red light. She's going to go home anyway. Who knows what that light's for? Not a big deal. Just a little red light. Just go home. So she went home, quite a ways to drive. She got home, and the motor was toast. Well, guess what? That little red light had been an indicator, was a warning. Check the oil. Either the engine's not oiling or lubricating, it's out of oil or whatever the case may be, but don't run the motor like that. She didn't know, so she just ran the car home, drove the car home. And so many mechanical hours later, thousands of dollars later, the machine was working again. The engine was a different engine, and now the car was working again. Such a simple little thing. She could have simply stopped the car, called her husband, called him and said, that little light with the, the, the oil can is on, what, what does that mean? It means don't drive the car like that. It means shut off the motor. The little red light. She refused to pay attention. You see, oftentimes we get ourselves into a mess out of which there is no way out. Maybe you're sitting here right now, aware of some things in life, maybe some, de- some decisions, some choices you've made. You know you shouldn't have. You know it wasn't right. But you did anyway. The consequences are on their way. You know, as much as you'd love to, as much as you'd like to, but there's just no going back. You cannot retrieve the time that is lost. Some of the decisions you've made, they will forever be like that. And there comes a time when it's all over. When Jesus walked this earth, he took his life very seriously. And in fact, he says in the Gospel of John, I finished the work the Father gave me to do. Jesus wasn't playing games when he walked this earth. He wasn't messing around trying to see what else he could get away with. And so one of his things that he came to do was preach the good news, preach the gospel. And he did, faithfully, very steadily, emphatically, very strongly, for three years he preached the gospel. But not everybody was listening. Not everybody wanted it. Not everybody was paying attention. Who's this Jesus son of Joseph anyway? This carpenter's son. Why should we believe in him? And I wonder this morning, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 and read those verses. Here Jesus had been to some cities, some towns north of Galilee. He had preached there. He had done miracles there. But it had been of no influence to these people. They didn't care about it. And so it says here, what sorrow, Jesus says to them, to, the, to these cities, what sorrow awaits you, Corazine and Bethsaida. 
For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. I think it is safe to say that this is one of those passages that we could say one of the hard teachings of Jesus. Some of the stuff he said was pretty hard stuff. We must, however, remember he never said it out of hate and vindictiveness. He said it out of deep concern and deep disappointment and frustration with the people he was ministering to. He's not easy going here. There's a harshness about this. So let's think about this a little bit. Where were these places? Well, Bethsaida and, and uh, Chorazin, these were towns that were around the Sea of Galilee area in the northern parts of uh, Israel. And he says to them, what sorrow awaits you. In some translations it says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And that is word special, that word woe is used in connection with when things are not good, when things are bad. If we read the prophet Isaiah, he had an experience one day and he saw a vision of God. And he sees himself as a sinful man and he says, woe is me, meaning grief and sorrow and pain. And here Jesus says, woe to you, meaning you've been warned and you've not listened, now the judgment will come. No one in the New Testament used that word more than Jesus himself. And basically he says, what sorrow is in store for you, a sorrow that they would experience, a coming judgment. Let's think about these people for a moment. Were these people actually bad people? Were they wicked and evil? If you had visited them, their towns, they were actually quite good. Outwardly anyway. They had their synagogues. They had their houses of worship. They had the laws of God, and the Pharisees no doubt taught them well. They were church-going people, as far as we know. Basically good people. Didn't like the Romans, but hey, put up with that. So other than that, pretty decent folk. Very much convinced they're all right. One could perhaps even ask, did they need anybody coming to teach them? No, they had the laws of Moses. And oh yeah, but the sick people, yeah, Jesus healed those, and that was good, so... But Jesus was not welcome. His message was not welcome. And the reason was they didn't believe they needed it. And so if you and I had visited their synagogue or their church, so to speak, if we had been to their houses for dinner, if we had observed them at work, we might have walked away and given them a good mark, saying, you know what? They're actually not bad people. They're not murderers. They're not adulterers. They're not cheaters and liars and thieves. They're actually pretty good folk. And yet here's Jesus coming away from these towns, and why is he so harsh with them? He wanted them to recognize the opportunity that had been presented to them. He was the Messiah with the good news, the message of salvation, of eternal life, and they were not embracing it. The message he had for these people now was difficult. He says, judgment is coming. Let's look at that first line, what sorrow awaits you. 
What sorrow awaits you, Koratin Bethsaida. He's deeply disappointed and deeply frustrated with these towns for how they had not responded. By the way, do you know that we always respond to the gospel? There's no such thing as not responding. We either receive it or we reject it. There's no neutral ground there. And Jesus had, so to speak, not been successful. It had not taken hold. It had just been ignored. Sometimes preachers feel so useless and so unsuccessful. Feel like we're not doing our job. We're not successful. Because we don't know. Did anybody listen? Or did anybody get anything? I'm not trying to complain here, but sometimes preachers go through those stages. Remember the story of a preacher years ago who will go to the railroad track every day. Watch the train go by. Somebody asked him, why are you doing that? Why do you always go to the railroad and watch the train go by? He says, that's the only thing around here I don't have to push. <laughs> he wanted some, some evidence. I've sometimes said this to a carpenter. Yeah, you know, you see, when you go to your job in the morning, you take these boards and these planks and you put them together and you hammer nails and you see something at the end of the day. He says, we preachers don't. We just talk. Everybody goes home. What happened? We don't know. Oh, there's a word of encouragement, a word somebody says something. That's great, but by and large, I wonder if Jesus felt that way. He says, woe to you, Corazine Bethsaida, because, and he goes on. He says, if the good works I've done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads and to show their remorse. You know, a question came to my mind was this. As we look at this story here, why didn't he? Okay, Jesus, if that's the case, why didn't somebody go to Tyre and Sidon? Why didn't somebody go there and preach repentance? Because he does say, if they had heard what you heard, they would have repented. If they had seen what you see, they would have repented and clothed themselves in burlap and threw ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I don't know for sure. But I do know this. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, he says, every single human being has been given a conscience. God has given us what we need to repent. And we're not the ones who determine, okay, Lord, give me more evidence, and then I'll believe. Okay, Lord, unless you give me this much evidence, then I won't believe. We have been given enough. Every human being has been given something. We all have that little red light. He says the cities of Tyre and Sidon would have repented. They were not even Jewish cities. They were Gentile places. By the way, Tyre is the place that the Jews knew about Tyre because that was the place where King David got the lumber from to build the temple, the logs and the stuff. If you read the books of First and Second Kings and Chronicles, you find those stories there. It's a fascinating story. I mean, First and Second Samuel. Read those stories. Those, those six books are fascinating history. Anyway, so there was, there was good relations between Phoenicia and cities of Tyre and Sidon are in Phoenicia. It's uh, the north, um, the northern uh, sea coast, uh, the Mediterranean Sea there. And so Tyre and Sidon are, are coastal cities. And uh, the Jews knew about these cities. Solomon actually had a good relationship with Hiram, king of Tyre. And so they actually worked together on some business transactions. And Tyre is a place where it's actually an island city, so to speak. But anyway, so these cities were well known. The Jews knew about these cities. In fact, the, tire, the town of Sidon, one source says it was the town of Zarephath. That's the place where God sent the prophet Elijah to, um, to go and stay at the widow's house when King Ahab was killing off God's prophets. 
unfortunately, is also the place where Queen Jezebel came from. It wasn't a good place. So these Jewish cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they were Jewish cities, God-fearing people, worshiping God. The cities of Tyre and Sidon, they were evil places or idolatrous places, idol-worshiping people. And Jesus is saying, if they had heard, they would have repented, but you're not. I don't have complete answers why this worked that way, but I do know this. You and I here today, whatever we think of anybody else, you and I here today, we have no excuse. Yes, but, 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 no buts. That's not our business, how God deals with those people. We have to pay attention. How is he dealing with me? What does he say in verse 14? Let's read verse 14. It says, yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. Does that apply to us too? Does that apply to North America? I was speaking in our Sunday school this morning about worship, teaching class on worship. When we ignore these opportunities, we're much rather easier, more easily drawn into entertainment, recreation. I'm not saying these are all sin, but when that is paramount, when that's primary, then we have a problem. See, these Jews had the laws of God, and they were so careful to do everything that the laws of Moses commanded. The Pharisees were busy educating and teaching and training the people how to live. Make sure they can follow the commands. Here comes this Jesus, the son of a carpenter, and says, oh, you need to repent of your sins and follow, follow me. That rubbed them the wrong way. You know what? It still rubs people the wrong way. They didn't like him. He was expecting them to transform, to change, conform to his ideas. Who does he think he is? You know, folks, it's no different today. Just try telling something, hey, you're wrong. The defenses go up, the relationship crumbles. Not suggesting you actually should do that, though. Maybe not such a good idea. But sometimes we do need to question people's actions, question people's motives. I find it amazing when I read through the Gospels how easily, quickly, and readily the sinners and the tax collectors, the rejects of society, how quickly they connected with Jesus. But the religious people... The church-going people, the worshiping people, they didn't like him. And if this is not bad enough already, let's read verse 15 as well, yet, as well too. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. If they had been listening, maybe feeling a bit smug by now, how we're not mentioned, well, he rebuked them too. They're not getting it off easier either. High-minded people, self-confident, self-trusting, thinking of themselves very highly, taking credit. Jesus levels the playing field. So what's this all about? One of the struggles that those people faced, that the people of Tyre and Sidon faced in their day, the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum faced in Jesus' day, that we, the people of Leamington, faced in our day, we're self-sufficient people. We're good people. We don't need anybody. We're good by ourselves. And maybe we are by the standards of our laws. We don't steal. Police are not after us. We don't get locked up in jail for robbing the bank or the stores, things like that. And we're pretty decent folks. And Jesus simply tries to teach the people, look, by birth and by nature and by, by deeds, we're all sinners. We all need grace. He's come to bring that to us. 
Yes, different place, different time, same problem. None of us gets off. All of us have to go through that. I began my story this morning with the story of the shuttle that blew up. Didn't think it was important. Didn't think it was a serious deal. Or the little red light on the dashboard. And anything in between. The law of God is the warning light. It tells us when something is wrong. Culture's not the warning light. Don't listen to Facebook. Don't listen to Pinterest or Instagram. Or whatever else grams or isms there are now. I don't know. I, I, to my shock and horror the other day, I, I, I don't know what I was doing on the computer. I was scrolling down something. All of a sudden there was these massive list of, there's, I don't know, I can't even begin. I thought, what? And these are the things that people go to and see how many people like me and how many people think this of me. What does Jesus think? What is his verdict? What is his predict? What does he want? That's what's important, folks. Let Facebook be Facebook. I'm not saying it's wrong. We have a Facebook page. That's not the point of reference. The laws of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, eternal life and destiny for us. Tyre and Sidon, they will face the judgment of God on judgment day. Korotin and Bethsaida will face the judgment of God on judgment day. Leamington will face the judgment of God on judgment day. You and I, each individual, will stand before the throne. We have our day now. Oh, I got time. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll first enjoy this and then I will. Really? You might not get that chance. The Jews had their warnings, didn't pay attention. They suffered. See, we have this problem. We want to recalibrate. We want to customize God's commands. Oh, but uh, yeah, but for us it means this. No. Jesus very clearly said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's very simple, but very hard. It's going to cost us everything we have and everything we are. There's no escaping this. But I, for myself, I would want to say this. I believe I'm speaking to a building full of saints. And maybe we are most of us saints in here. If there are those who have not yet received the gospel message, still playing around with it, don't put it off. You don't know how long we've got. The law simply says this, and if you want to know, well, what is God's law anyway? That's simply this. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your heart, soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Jesus says, on this hangs the law and the prophets. So if you want to follow Jesus and ask, what do you want me to do, Lord? How do I do this thing? How do I follow you? How do I not reject you? It's that easy. That's simple. Not that easy, but that simple. But the Jews of Jesus' day had no use for it. Let's read verse 16. The next verse here. Jesus said to his disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Doesn't it sometimes just make us squirm a little bit that Jesus is so divisive? I mean, come on. Give us a break here. Let's, let's, let's just mix it up a bit. Let's have a little bit of overlap at least. But that's not how he works. 
Either we're a, we're a member of his kingdom serving him and following him. He says you can't serve two masters. He's, you can't serve both God and, and money, he says, but two ki- different kingdoms. We live in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. Jesus is, is so absolute. Not this mediocre or part this, part that. To conclude, I would just like to say this. There have been and are and continue to be places like Tyre and Sidon in the world. There have and are and continue to be places like Corazine and Bethsaida and Capernaum. And we too. We all will one day face the consequences of the choices we make here. The judgment will not be the same for everyone. What do I mean by that? Jesus does say in the Gospels, and I won't read it here, but he says, whoever has done what is worth of many stripes will receive many stripes. So even at the judgment, God is not going to make it, is not going to just have one blanket judgment for everybody. There's going to be differences there. And how that will work, I don't know. But I do know this. To whom much has been given, Jesus says, much will be required. Let's read Luke 12, 48. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And this is where I have to say I sometimes get a bit scared. Has there ever lived a generation that has been given more than we in the Western world? We have all the resources that anybody could ever infinitely imagine we've been given more the resources are all there we've been given the space and the margin the freedom to exercise it some are restrained and restricted to persecution not us we have the margins we have the time the resources and the opportunities what's our problem So if God would come to Leamington and just come in here and just, he would stand in front of us, he would say, okay, congregation, what seems to be the problem? What would we say? Well, as soon as it gets a bit easier, as soon as I have a bit more of this, and as soon as I got my mortgage paid off, as soon as I have finished this, well, what about the other saints who are doing it now? God wants our loyalty. He wants our devotion. He wants a relationship. He wants our worship. Rejecting him has huge consequences. You and I are not in control. Oh, we can decide the response we want to give. That's for us to do. But after that, it's out of our hands. These cities that Jesus talked about, they rejected him. And Jesus was displeased. May he never be displeased with us. And for us, this means an ongoing repentant lifestyle. We must be diligent. We must focus on what has the Lord done for us. How can we best express our gratitude and our thank you? Not neglect the message of Jesus because he says, whoever rejects you, rejects the message of rejecting me and they're rejecting God. Rejecting God, we all know what that does. I remember many years ago when Pastor Reimer was pastoring and this building was not yet built then we had a a team here from an african-american group come to serve us one sunday the speaker was african-american very enthusiastic but very serious and he described the churches back then already this way in north america 
And he, he had this one line he went over and over and it burned itself into my brain. I still can't get it out. I don't want to really. He said, here in North America we have churchianity but not Christianity. And he went over that so often. Uh, nobody could forget that. Churchianity but we have churchianity but not Christianity. The outward form is there. The appearance is there. But inside there's so much lacking. The inward sincerity and dedication devotion was missing. was like hollow. A year or so later, he came back again with his group. This time, I couldn't be there for whatever reason. Something, something was up. I couldn't attend. I wanted to, but I couldn't. It was in a different church, in fact. And I wanted to go so badly, but I couldn't go. Can't be everywhere every time. But one of our young men did go. One of our young men did go. So I asked him, I said, what was his line? What was his line? He smiled and said, yeah, this time it was, you can live it up, but you can never live it down. You can live it up, but you can never live it down. You can reject Jesus if you want to. That's your choice. You can do that if you want to, but you'll never get rid of the consequences. They are permanent. They're eternal. You can reject Jesus if you want to. But you will face an eternal absence of him for all eternity if you do that. But I have good news. For today, now, you and I are able, we've been invited, we've been encouraged, we can receive him today. We can repent, turn from our sin, receive eternal life, and walk with him in relationship with him, and and fellowship him, and worship him. And that's not just for Sunday morning. That's not just for an hour a week. That's for every day. Is it going to be hard? Of course it's going to be hard. Is it going to be good? You better believe it. Has eternal rewards. And you know what? This is the only way we're designed to live. So may God help us live holy lives of dedication, loyalty, commitment, and service in relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this world as a little baby, you grew up, and you did the Father's work. You taught us, you showed us the Father's love, and then you gave your life on the cross. You died, paid for our sins, you rose from the dead, and you commissioned your disciples to bring this good news to all the world so that all who believe and receive the gift will worship you and be with you in eternity. That's our goal, Lord Jesus. That's our mission. That's our desire. Help us to serve faithfully. In your name we pray.